We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. This then is the text for today. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. May God bless the reading of his word. There was a visiting professor at Baylor once who gave me um, my greatest academic lesson while I was there. His name was David Bebbington. He was a professor of history. And he was from the University of Stirling in Scotland. And in his class, in Professor Bebbington's class, when we did our research, we could only use primary sources, which at first didn't seem like a big deal, but in the end, it was huge. A primary source is exactly that. You have to get the information from the horse's mouth. So, if you're doing a research paper on Abraham Lincoln's politics, you couldn't just cite books that were written about Lincoln. There have been volumes written about his presidency. Great men have written incredible works about Abraham Lincoln, and you couldn't cite any one of them. You couldn't even cite newspapers written in his day. You had to use the primary source, which means if you're writing a paper on Lincoln's politics, you had to use Lincoln himself as the source. Speeches he gave, articles he wrote, letters he had sent. If it didn't come directly from Lincoln, you couldn't use it. You see, when you're looking for the truth, this is how you find it. You don't trust what other people say, and you don't trust what other people write. You know, it's, it's a pertinent idea for today. It's important for us to remember that when you read an article about what a politician has said or about what an athlete has said, that you go back and hear and listen to what the person actually said, and you'll be much better off. Now, you may be thinking, what does a primary source have to do with Daniel chapter 2, where we are this week? But in Daniel chapter 2, the primary source is everything. As the text begins, King Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. And this dream he doesn't understand, and this dream has unsettled him. It's a dream about life. It's a dream about the kingdom. And in fact, he's not sure what this means for his life as king, and the kingdom might be at stake. And so he wants to find the truth. 
because he doesn't understand what he has dreamed. And to find the truth, you need to go to the primary source, which King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do. Now, to be fair, he gathers around anybody he thinks might have some wisdom on the matter, and so he gathers magicians and conjurers and sorcerers, and he gathers them together and says, tell me about my dream. In fact, tell me exactly what the dream is. But this is not primary source material. Most of these people are just hucksters. And in the back of his mind, I imagine King Nebuchadnezzar knew it. Because in this moment, he needed the truth. He didn't need somebody's best guess about what it might be. And so he declared this edict, I need somebody that can tell me the dream and tell me the dream exactly. I need somebody that can tell me the interpretation and tell me the interpretation exactly because today I need the truth. And when you need the truth, you go to the primary source. And a sorcerer can't do that. Their brethren would, would try all kinds of, of things, frivolous things, to tell you something, but they couldn't get the details. The people that King Nebuchadnezzar had called in, they could give you an answer, but all they could tell you was a yes or a no, a good or a bad. In fact, th this was their process. Th their favorite way of determining wisdom or steps forward in the Chaldeans from Babylon, what they would do is they would take a sheep and they would slaughter the sheep then they would remove the sheep's liver, and they would take the liver out. And they would do one of two things. They would take the liver out, and if it was the wrong color or wrong size or looked disease, they would say to the person, well, that must be a no. Or they would say to the king, well, that's a bad omen. I wouldn't go that direction. Or they would do the other thing. They would pull it out, and the liver was healthy and good. It's the healthiest liver we've ever seen. Then that's a yes. Go ahead. Do, do whatever you want to do. Or they would even do the same thing, kind of like a, a palm reader says they can do. They'd pull the liver out, and there'd be lines on the liver. And they'd read the lines, and they'd say, oh, that line's good, or oh, that line's bad. But they couldn't give you any detail. They couldn't tell you anything about it, because they weren't a primary source. You see, Daniel, on the other hand, he knew the primary source King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know where to find it, but Daniel did. In verse 17, it says, Daniel gets his three friends together. Now, they're not the primary sources either, but he, but he gets the three friends together, and they all know the primary source, and they go to the primary source together. You know, one of the amazing things about this text is that none of them are in crisis mode. And you would think they would be because they have just found out, all four of them just found out that they were about to be executed. And when you find out crisis news like this, the, the, the natural response of humanity, our knee-jerk reaction is to run and escape or to act out in violence or to lie our way out of the situation, but not Daniel. Dan Daniel did none of those things. In fact, the Scripture tells us that, that Daniel was discreet and discerning. And the, and the reason why Daniel was discreet and discerning is because he knew the primary source. He knew the primary source of all things on this earth. Daniel doesn't have to worry about King Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel knows King Nebuchadnezzar's creator. He knows one who is greater than King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and his three friends go straight to God, the primary source of all creation, the primary source of all thoughts and dreams of mankind. And so they pray. 
When they're met with this terrible situation, when they're met with crisis circumstances, they get on their knees and they pray as was their custom. They knew God as the primary source and they knew they could trust him. You know, one of the things that we need to walk away with this morning is that as Christians, we have the same opportunity. You have this same opportunity as a redeemed child of God. And in fact, there's only one thing that separates us from the primary source of all that is. The single barrier is your own sin. And upon the eradication of sin from your life, you have full access to the wisdom and power of the creator of the universe. Now, to be clear, this eradication of sin does not happen in our own way or by our own devices. You can't do this. But this was the work of Christ on the cross. In fact, as we look forward to the Lord's Supper, this is what we're remembering. As we, as we look ahead to Easter that is coming soon, th this is what we are celebrating and looking forward to. In fact, I want you to, to read with me Matthew 27, 50 and 51. Matthew 27, 50 and 51 is a beautiful picture of what Christ was doing on the cross and this offer and access we now have in the person of Jesus Christ. So Matthew 27, 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That means Jesus has died. And now in verse 51, at the death of Jesus, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks were split. At the death of Christ, the temple veil tore from top to bottom, opening the way for us to approach the throne of God by the death of Jesus Christ. This veil separated the holy of holies from humanity, and it was taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. May we repent and approach the throne of grace this very morning. You see, after Daniel and his three friends had communed with God, they were good. Their hearts were settled. Their minds were at peace because God had given the wisdom they needed. In those moments, God provided exactly what they needed the answer that they prayed for. You see, this is what God does. When we fall before him, he gives us our daily bread. When, when we are on our knees before the throne of grace, God provides for his children. He forgives and restores. He redeems and he makes right. Before his throne, he gives us everything that we need and we move forward with unassailable confidence. In a, in a letter dated March 6th, 1860. March 6th, 1860. Abraham Lincoln wrote to J.A. Freeman. Mr. Freeman had requested that this budding politician, Lincoln, come and speak to the Republicans in New Jersey. But Lincoln was too nervous to do it. This is what Abraham Lincoln wrote in the letter. I cannot speak in New Jersey at this time. 
And there's a little bit in there we're, we're skipping. He says, and I'm really nervous. And I'm unfit to fulfill my engagement here in Connecticut. Will you please excuse me? Yours respectfully, A. Lincoln. One of the greatest orders in American history claims to be too nervous to give a political speech. Apprehension can inhibit any of us, slowing the best of us. Which makes what Daniel did all the more remarkable. Daniel walks right into King Nebuchadnezzar's chambers without hesitation. Daniel walked uninhibited before a king because Daniel had already kneeled before the king. And you know, this, this thread of confidence in the king runs throughout the scriptures and into the church today. In fact, if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, it was the same for Joseph. Joseph walked with confidence right from the dungeon of an Egyptian jail into Pharaoh's court. With confidence, he told Pharaoh, God will give an answer. Joseph wasn't worried about a king because he already knew the king. You know, it was, it was the same thing for Moses as we move into the book of Exodus. Now, it took some convincing for Moses, but Moses walked up to Pharaoh and said, you're going to let the people of God go. Pharaoh says, no. They went back and forth. Moses declaring the truth of God. Pharaoh says no. Now, don't think for one moment that Moses is better than Abraham Lincoln, or don't think for one moment that Moses is any better than any of us. The only reason whatsoever that Moses stood before an earthly king with confidence is because he walked with the king of heaven. As you move out of the Old Testament into the New Testament, Paul, too, was without fear before King Agrippa. In the story in Acts 26, it's set up. It wasn't just King Agrippa. Paul is, is brought into a large auditorium, and he's brought in with a parade. And there's a band, and there, there's music filling the arena. The commanders of the armies came in and gathered around them. All the prominent politicians of the day came in and gathered around them. And in front of all of those people, King Agrippa asked Paul why he shouldn't be executed. And Paul preached the gospel to him. It's in Acts 26. Paul preaches repentance. Paul tells him who Jesus Christ is. And do you know how King Agrippa responds to Paul? In front of all of these people, in front of the whole circus, how does King Agrippa respond? Let's, let's look at Acts 26. I'm going to read Acts 26, 28, and 29. Agrippa replies to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul says, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but all, he said, everybody in this room, this whole circus and parade of people that are around us listening to us right now, that everybody in this room would hear me and might become such as I. And he means in Christ, except for these chains that Christ was bearing you see, Paul could speak with confidence before a king's court because he knew the king. If you know the king, anything is possible. All wisdom and power is at the hand of those who know the king. 
See, the king is what made all of these other kings. The king is the one who set the stage for all of these victories along the way. The victory over the pharaohs, the victory over King Nebuchadnezzar, the victory over King Agrippa. All of those victories point to one day in history. The ones in the Old Testament are pointing forward. Acts is pointing backward. Each of them defeated at the intersection of the cross where Jesus hanged. You know, in Jesus' own trial before Pilate, Jesus is asked if he is a king. But Jesus isn't just a king. Jesus is the king, the king of kings. He's the king without a, with a kingdom. And this kingdom is not of this world. He's a king with a kingdom that stands over the expanse of history, not confined by the physical, but Jesus is the king who reigns eternal. You know, as we see this king and as we see this kingdom, this king whose glory is so great that all the other kings of the earth will bow down their knee unto him. That is the truth of Scripture, that everyone will bow the knee before the Christ, the king. And this, this king, who is king eternal, wants a meal with you. Nothing extravagant but a meal to remember what this king has done for you. Because all of the things earthly kings have ever done pale in comparison to what the Christ has done. He emptied himself of the glory of heaven. He came down to this earth as a sacrifice for you as an individual and gave his life that you might be saved. And he calls us to remember it. And you remember it in two simple elements, the bread and the wine. And you glorify his name above every name on the face of this earth. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.